chapter two of the tower of london by arthur poyser this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two historical sketch part two two years after the suppression of this uprising in the north a smouldering yorkist insurrection in the west was stamped out by the usual method of securing the leaders in this case henry courtenay marquis of exeter sir edward neville and sir nicholas carew and taking off their heads on tower hill others were seized about this time accused of being implicated in certain traitorous correspondence and were also brought to the tower amongst them were lord montague and sir geoffrey pole with their mother the countess of salisbury sir adrian fortescue sir thomas dingley and the marchioness of exeter as regards the aged countess of salisbury in a contemporary document it is said that she maketh great moan for that she wanteth necessary apparel both for change and also to keep her warm in a history dealing with the period by lord herbert of cherbury we have a description of the countess's last moments which were tragic enough even for tower records on may twenty eighth fifteen forty one the old lady was brought to the scaffold set up in the tower on tower green and was commanded to lay her head on the block but she as a person of great quality assured me refused saying i am no traitor neither would it serve that the executioner told her it was the fashion so turning her grey head every way she bid him if he would have her head to cut it off as he could so that he was constrained to fetch it off slovenly however Frode discredits this story and it certainly seems to be almost too fantastic to be true still the fact remains that the countess was subjected to unnecessarily harsh treatment while in the tower for the reason it is said that the king hoped she might die under the privations and so save him bringing her to the block to thomas cromwell the instigator of the terrible punishments that were meted out to those concerned in the risings fate had already brought retribution in fifteen forty he had been created earl of essex a few months afterwards his fall came on a day of july of that year he too came to the tower and suffered the death on tower green that he had prescribed for others the tower was becoming like some mighty monster whose craving for human blood was hard to satisfy accuser and accused yeoman and earl youth and age innocence and guilt seemed to come alike into its greedy maw cromwell was taken from the house of lords to the tower and the angry king would listen to no word in his favour whatever his crimes as tyrant counsellor to henry two things may be reckoned to his credit for no man is altogether bad the bible was printed in english in fifteen thirty eight at his wish and he initiated a system of keeping parish registers at the time of cromwell's death the tower was inconveniently full of protestant heretics three of whom were got rid of by the simple expedient of burning them in smithfield while an equal number of catholics who were prepared to deny the king's supremacy in matters ecclesiastical went with them the king had not been too busy with ridding himself of enemies or supposed enemies to neglect other things he had married and divorced anne of cleves and had taken catherine howard to be his queen but her fate was not long delayed and another royal head was brought to the axe on tower green before her death she had asked that the block might be brought to her cell in order that she might learn how to lay her head upon it 
and this strange request was granted lady rochford the queen's companion was executed on the green after her mistress had suffered an eye-witness of the executions has left it on record that both victims made the most godly and christian end that ever was heard tell of i think since the world's creation catherine howard was only twenty-two years old when the tower claimed her life many of her relatives were imprisoned at the same time among them being her grandmother the duchess of norfolk the countess of bridgewater lord and lady william howard and thomas duke of norfolk it is rather startling to find that a prisoner in the tower could die for joy upon hearing that the charge brought against him was not proven this singular death released the troubled soul of viscount lyle from the walls of his dungeon and from the trials of this mortal life in the year that queen catherine was brought to the green from execution we turn to torture anne askew an ardent believer in the reformed faith was cast into the tower for denying the doctrine of transubstantiation in an account of her sufferings by lord de ross we are told that the unhappy lady was carried to a dungeon and laid on the rack in the presence of the lieutenant of the tower and chancellor rosley but when she endured the torture without opening her lips in reply to the chancellor's questions he became furious and seizing the wheel himself strained it with all his force till knivet the lieutenant revolting at such cruelty insisted on her release from the dreadful machine it was but just in time to save her life for she had twice swooned and her limbs had been so stretched and her joints so injured that she was never again able to walk she was shortly afterwards carried to smithfield and there burnt to ashes together with three other persons for the same cause in the presence of the duke of norfolk the earl of bedford sir thomas rosley the lord mayor and a vast concourse of people religious bigotry alas is still with us but men have saner notions to-day as to the value of mere religious opinions and poor anne had the misfortune to live in a ruder age than ours but her sufferings are not forgotten religious tyranny has lost the power to send to the rack and the stake and to her and all who suffered be due honour given once more the curtain falls on tragedy and on its rise we see the tower decked out for revelry in fifteen forty six a great banquet was given in honour of the peace between france and england and the french high admiral the bishop of evreux and others came on embassy to england and were welcomed amid much rejoicing to the feast for a space the tower remembered there was laughter in life as well as tears however it rejoiced with difficulty and very soon had returned to gloomy dignity and sadness on paltry evidence the duke of norfolk who had led to victory at flodden field and was now seventy-four years of age was with the earl of surrey imprisoned in the tower surrey tried by jury in january fifteen forty seven on the nineteenth of the month was led out of the tower gate to execution on tower hill thus was sent to death england's first writer of blank verse and one of her most excellent poets surrey's instinct for prosody was phenomenal says mr edmund gosse and he at once transplanted blank verse from a soil in which it could never flourish it had recently been invented in italy to one in which it would take root and spread in full luxuriance 
yet the sweet singer who lit the torch that was handed on to shakespeare was brought to the block with the tyrant and the malefactor norfolk would have shared a like fate had not the king himself died a few hours before the time appointed for the duke's removal to tower hill he was set free when mary came to reign and died in his own home in fifteen fifty four at the good old age of eighty one young edward the sixth was brought up to the tower with great ceremony and began his reign when but a boy of ten in the tower he was made a knight and rejoicings in anticipation of his coronation made the old walls ring again to gladness the state procession from the tower to the abbey was conceived and carried through in a spirit of regal magnificence and from east cheap to westminster the streets were bedecked in a manner expressive of the joy of the people that henry's reign of terror had ended the boy king had not long been on the throne when under the guidance of protector somerset in whose hands was all the power of an actual ruler bloodshed began afresh thomas lord seymour brother of somerset and uncle of the king was immured in the tower and accused of ambitious practices beheaded on tower hill on march twenty fifteen forty nine this act brought down the rage of the populace upon somerset who was already unpopular by reason of his seizure of church property by his ill-gotten gains he had built the magnificent somerset house and in order to clear the ground for it he had demolished a church and scattered the human remains found there an act of desecration that the citizens regarded as a crime the earl of warwick headed the opposition seized the tower and the protector was lodged in the beecham tower later however he was pardoned and the young king records in his diary that my lord somerset was delivered of his bonds and came to court but the feud soon came to a head again and in fifteen fifty one somerset was shut up in the tower once more and his wife with him on a charge of high treason he was taken by water to his trial at westminster hall where he was acquitted of high treason but condemned of treason felonious and adjudged to be hanged the king who appears to have written a full account of events in his diary notes that he departed without the axe of the tower the people knowing not the matter shrieked half a dozen times so loud that from the hall door it was heard at charing cross plainly and rumours went that he was quit of all but far from being quit of all he was conveyed back to the tower and while some maintained that he was to be set at liberty others with equal heat asserted that he was to die speedily the dispute was set at rest by his execution on tower hill at eight of the clock in the morning the boy edward seems to have had some of the callousness of his father in his nature for he signed the death warrants of both his uncles with calmness and in his commentary on their executions he betrays no emotion whatever taking it all as a very commonplace happening the duke of somerset had his head cut off upon tower hill is the entry in the royal manuscript book at the time of the protector's committal to the tower there came with him as prisoners his supporters the earl of arundel lords grey and paget also sir thomas arundel sir ralph vane sir miles partridge and sir michael stanhope these latter being executed 
edward's short reign of six years had seen as many noble lives sacrificed as any six years of his father's reign had seen and with the queen who succeeded him the tale of bloodshed was not less full of sudden tragedy mary tudor was preceded by the nine days queen lady jane grey who had been named his successor by the dying edward at the instigation of the duke of northumberland lady jane had been wedded to northumberland's fourth son lord guilford dudley she was only sixteen years old she began and ended her reign in the tower to which she was conveyed by her father-in-law who was keeping edward's death secret until his plans were complete but mary had been proclaimed without the tower if lady jane had been proclaimed within the weaker was pitted against the stronger and northumberland whom we hear of at cambridge trying to go over to the side of the stronger by shouting god save queen mary in the public highway was arrested in spite of his proper sentiments and was brought prisoner to london and lodged within the tower where only a few weeks before he had been in command he suffered on august twenty second in the september sunshine lady jane was allowed to walk in the garden attached to the lieutenant's house and on the hill and to look out upon the river and the roofs of the city from the walk behind the battlements which connects the beecham and bell towers in the beecham her husband was held in bondage and there he carved the word jane on the wall where it is to be seen to this day in october mary was crowned and in november a sad procession wended its way up tower hill through tower street and eastcheap to the guildhall at the head walked the chief warder carrying the axe following came archbishop cramner lord guilford dudley and lady jane grey at their trial they pleaded guilty to high treason were sentenced and returned to the tower the warder's axe showing by the direction in which the blade pointed what their doom was to be to her father lady jane wrote from her prison-house my dear father if i may without offence rejoice in my own mishaps herein i may account myself blessed that washing my hands with the innocence of my fact my guiltless blood may cry before the lord mercy to the innocent i have opened unto you the state wherein i presently stand my death at hand although to you perhaps it may seem woeful yet to me there is nothing that can be more welcome than from this veil of misery to aspire and that having thrown off all joy and pleasure with christ my saviour in whose steadfast faith if it may be lawful for the daughter so to write to her father the lord that hath hitherto strengthened you so continue to keep you that at the last we may meet in heaven with the father son and holy ghost i am your most obedient daughter till death jane dudley it is possible that queen mary might have spared the life of this sweet and gentle maid happier in her books and her devotions than in the intrigues of state but a rising of the men of kent under wyatt who demanded the custody of the tower and the queen within it brought matters to a crisis wyatt appeared on the southwark bank of the thames and was fired upon from tower walls this is the last time in its annals that the fortress was attacked and that it was called upon to repel an enemy wyatt captured at temple bar after a night march from kenston where he had crossed the river was soon in the tower and with him was led many a noble prisoner all hope that lady jane would be spared had now gone 
her father was seized and brought to the tower on february ten her husband was seen by her on his way to death on tower hill on the morning of the twelfth and she looked out again upon his headless body as it was brought back on a litter very soon afterwards and taken to the chapel a contemporary chronicle describes the preparations made for her own death on that day there was a scaffold made upon the green over against the white tower for the said lady jane to die upon she was led forth from her prison to the green by sir john bridges then lieutenant and mounted the scaffold with firm step the hangman offered to help her to take off her gown she desired him to let her alone turning towards her two gentlewomen who helped her off therewith giving to her a fair handkerchief to knit about her eyes then she said i pray you dispatch me quickly she tied the kerchief around her eyes then feeling for the block said what shall i do where is it one of the standers by guiding her thereunto she laid her head down upon the block and stretched forth her body and said lord into thy hands i commend my spirit and so she ended fuller has said of this noble girl she had the birth of a princess the life of a saint yet the death of a malefactor for her parents offences and she was longer a captive than a queen in the tower her father and wyatt before many days had passed were both beheaded on tower hill many luckless ones who had taken part in the kentish rising were put to death with every form of cruelty and shortly after these terrible days of bloodshed in london mary was married to philip of spain at winchester princess elizabeth had meanwhile been brought to the tower in custody and was landed on palm sunday at traitor's gate she was closely guarded but was allowed to walk on the open passageway where lady jane grey had paced up and down before her which is now known as queen elizabeth's walk towards the middle of may being set free of the tower she is said to have taken a meal in the london tavern at the corner of mark lane and fenchurch street on her way to woodstock the pewter meat-dish and cover which she used are still preserved the city churches rang joyous peals when it was known she was out of tower walls and to those churches that gave her welcome she presented silken bell-ropes when queen of england queen mary's days were darkened again by busy work for the headsman and by religious persecution thomas second son of lord stafford defeated in an attempt to capture scarborough castle was brought to the block on tower hill and a large band of prisoners was put in tower dungeons to make room for these many of the captives already there were released mary died on november seventeenth fifteen fifty eight and then began to dawn those spacious times of great elizabeth when england moved to greater glory than she had ever known before queen elizabeth on her accession came again to the tower spending the time until the coronation within its walls but she had too many memories of captivity there to retain much love for the prison which had now become her palace seated in a golden chariot the new queen ablaze with jewels passed on her way to westminster through a city decked out in all manner of magnificence and through a crowd shouting themselves hoarse with delight at her coming the tower appears in the records of elizabeth's reign almost wholly as a state prison 
an attempt was made to smooth out religious difficulties by committing a number of church dignitaries to its keeping among them the archbishop of york and Fenkingham, abbot of westminster then came lady catherine grey lady jane's sister who had offended the queen by marrying lord hereford in secret her husband also was soon afterwards a prisoner he lay for over nine years in his cell but was released at the end of that time while lady hereford died in the tower the countess of lennox was imprisoned three times within the walls not for any treason but for love matters thomas howard son of the first duke of norfolk was shut up here for falling in love with the countess and died in captivity it is interesting to find that cupid could forge tower shackles as well as make a wedding ring and that to enter his service without the queen's permission was almost a capital offence in fifteen sixty two a suspected conspiracy to set the queen of scots ill-fated mary on the english throne was the cause of arthur and edmund de la pole great-grandchildren of the murdered duke of clarence being put into the beecham tower where when we reach that portion of the building on our rounds we shall see their inscriptions on the walls the brothers were fated never to leave their place of confinement alive after fourteen years of respite tower hill again claimed a victim the duke of norfolk suffering there in june fifteen seventy nine in the following year roman catholic prisoners were brought one might say in droves to tower cells many of them were subjected to torture either by the rack the scavenger's daughter the thumbscrew or the boot in fifteen eighty one father campion a jesuit was hurried to death and in fifteen eighty three we hear of one captive committing suicide in order to escape the awful fate of dismemberment that many of his fellow prisoners had suffered it seems as if the sanity of life the sweet wholesomeness we associate with the merry england of shakespeare's time had not pierced the solid crust of tower tradition to lay down a comedy of the great dramatist and take up contemporary records of the tower is as if one had stepped out of the warm sunshine and fragrant air of mid-june into a dark damp vault whose atmosphere stings with the chill of a november night tower dungeons were becoming too crowded many a poor obscure captive was sent over to france perhaps to a harder lot and the vacant places were filled by political offenders northumberland killed himself in the tower arundel made prisoner with him died from self-imposed privations it is said some months after sir john perrot lord deputy of ireland was charged with using some hasty words against the queen and that was considered sufficiently dire an offence for lord chancellor hatton to have him brought to the tower but elizabeth refused to sign the warrant for his execution he died in his captivity after six months of a broken heart of the imprisonment of raleigh and of robert devereux earl of essex something will be said when we come to examine those portions of the tower with which their names are associated with the death of elizabeth the curtain falls on the last of the tudors a race of sovereigns who had used their faithful tower well as palace fortress prison and secret place in which their enemies were put out of existence of many of the greater names of elizabeth reign tower annals bear no record but soldier statesman or ecclesiastic having crossed the queen's humour 
found it but a step from court favor to traitor's gate in the gray hours of morning march twenty fourth sixteen o three watch and ward was kept in london streets and in all the neighbor counties men who had much at stake in time of crisis wove uncertain plans to meet the thousand chances that day might bring when day broke two horsemen were far on the northern road each spurring to forestall the other at holyrood with homage impatiently expected by the first ruler of the british isles at a more leisurely pace the elizabethan statesmen were riding in from richmond where their mistress lay dead to whitehall gate where at ten in the morning they proclaimed king james i the lords of the council showed themselves agreed that there should be no revolution the decision was silently endorsed by a grateful nation in city and manor-house men laid aside their arms and breathed again in mr g m trevelyan's admirable england under the stuarts from which these words are taken a delightful description is given of the state of england at the coming of the king of scotland to the english throne and the chapters might well be read in connection with any study of tower history for to understand the happenings within the tower it is profitable to have some detailed knowledge of the state of society outside its walls king james after his progress during a month of spring weather from edinburgh came to the tower and held his first court there the usual procession to the abbey was abandoned owing to plague that lurked in city streets and rejoicings within tower walls were less lusty than usual but the king rode in state from tower hill to westminster two years later to open his first parliament it is interesting to read in mr sidney lee's life of shakespeare that shakespeare himself with eight players of the king's company of actors walked from the tower of london to westminster in the procession which accompanied the king in his formal entry into london there is no other positive record of the great dramatist and poet having visited the tower we can but conjecture that a building so indissolubly bound up with the nation's history would offer no mute appeal to such a mind as his and that he must have come at times to look upon the place where down to his own day so many tragic deeds had been done early in james's reign many eminent prisoners were brought to the tower in connection with a plot as the timid king thought to place the crown on the head of lady arabella stuart his first cousin on the mother's side in may sixteen eleven lady arabella had married young william seymour this event brought both bride and bridegroom into royal disfavour the husband was shut up in the tower and the wife kept in captivity at lambeth palace but this did not daunt them lady arabella on being taken north on the way to durham pleaded illness when scarcely out of sight of london in disguise she escaped to blackwell and took ship at lee on sea there to await her husband who had succeeded in getting out of the tower by dressing as a labourer and following out a cart laden with wood from the wharf seymour sailed to lee but found that the french vessel in which his wife had sought shelter had gone down the river some hours before he managed to cross to ostend but lady arabella was caught in mid-channel and conveyed back to tower walls which she never left again in her latter years she became insane and dying in sixteen fifteen was buried at midnight beside mary queen of scots in the abbey 
seymour allowed unmerited punishment to fall on his young wife remained abroad until the storm was over married again and lived long enough to see the restoration the conspiracy of sixteen o three had been the cause of the execution of george brooke brother of lord cobham and two priests went to death with him lord cobham himself and lord grey de wilton were brought to the steps of the scaffold not many days after for participation in the same plot before the headsman had done his work a reprieve arrived and they were sent back to their place of captivity in sixteen o four the guy fawkes conspiracy necessitated a fresh batch of captives being lodged in the tower and during our visit to the dungeon beneath the white tower we shall learn something of their fate and of the fate also of another prisoner of this period sir thomas overbury poisoned in the bloody tower felton the rogue responsible for the assassination of buckingham had bought the knife with which he did the deed on tower hill at a booth there he was brought to the tower on his arrest and confined until the day of his hanging at tyburn there were not always however political offences that filled the tower cells at this period a private quarrel was the cause of lords arundel and spencer being given quarters in the prison and lord audley was beheaded on tower hill in sixteen thirty one for committing crimes which were so revolting as to encourage the belief that he was insane when charles i who did not visit the tower as far as is known during his life the number of noble prisoners by no means grows less in november sixteen forty the earl of strafford was put in the tower and condemned to death after trial in westminster hall the king was anxious to save him the tower was to be seized and strafford set at liberty the royal plans failed charles forsook his favourite even after having sworn that not a hair of his head should be injured the prisoner could anticipate but one end sweetheart he wrote to his wife it is long since i wrote to you for i am here in such trouble as gives me little or no respite archbishop laud had also been put in the prison fortress and as strafford passed down the sloping pathway that leads from tower green to traitor's gate on his way to execution laud from the window above the arch of bloody tower gave his friend his blessing the earl was led out to tower hill and suffered death there on may twelfth sixteen forty one it is said that two hundred thousand people witnessed the event and that it was celebrated by the lighting of bonfires at night the archbishop had been arrested at lambeth palace and brought to the tower by the river he remained for four years in his room in the bloody tower and in his diary describes the visit paid to him by prynne who seeing me safe in bed falls first to my pockets to rifle them in the search for papers which he found in plenty he bound up my papers left two sentinels at my door and went his way on march tenth sixteen forty three laud was brought to a trial in westminster hall which lasted twenty days because he had so the charge was worded attempted to subvert religion and the fundamental laws of the realm he was condemned and on tower hill on january tenth sixteen forty five when seventy-two years of age beheaded he was buried as we shall see in a later chapter in the church of all hallows barking near by 
readers of john inglesant will remember the vivid description given in that book of these days in the reign of the first charles and in the moving picture of the life of the time laud played no inconsiderable part laud says bishop collins in his exhaustive laud commemoration volume deserves to be commemorated as among other things a true forerunner of social leaders of our own day to him at any rate a man is a man and no man can be more the great the rich the educated had no hope of favour from him rather he reserved his mercy for the poor the ignorant and the lowly we thank god for his noble care for the poor and his large and generous alms for the english race for his splendid example of diligent service in church and state for his work as the great promoter of learning of his age from such an authority these words are valuable and do much to set the balance right after the splenetic outbursts of carlyle and many a lesser writer august sixteen forty two had seen the outbreak of the civil war charles was at nottingham the tower was in the keeping of parliament and its captives were those who adhered to the king we find a lord mayor of london amongst them for publishing the king's proclamation with regard to the militia and gallant cavaliers in plenty filled the cells sir john hotham and his son charged with attempting to give hull over to the royalists while it was being held for parliament were brought to the tower in sixteen forty three and to tower hill in the following year sir alexander carew governor of plymouth was beheaded shortly afterwards on a similar indictment when the king had himself suffered death at the block in whitehall the tower contained many of his supporters and amongst those who shared their royal master's fate were the earl of holland the duke of hamilton and arthur lord capel a fine old knight of wales sir john owen taken at the same time and condemned to death was by ireton's intercession pardoned and he returned in peace to wales worcester sent a batch of prisoners to the fortress and in the same year sixteen fifty one a preacher at st lawrence jewry named christopher love found to be in correspondence with the second charles was beheaded on tower hill a picture of the scene on the hill at the time of his death engraved by a dutchman is one of the first drawings after those of strafford and laud of an execution on that famous spot lucy barlow mother of the duke of monmouth who had been imprisoned in the tower with her young son was released by cromwell after a long detention cromwell was during the last years of the protectorate in constant fear of assassination miles syndicombe at one time in his confidence made an attempt on his life in sixteen fifty seven having been sentenced to death syndicombe took fate in his own hands terminated his life in the solitude of his cell and the body was dragged at a horse's tail from tower hill to tyburn dr john hewitt concerned in a rising in kent in favour of the restoration was beheaded on tower hill with another plotter sir henry slingsley the frequent escapes from tower walls during the commonwealth period would lead to the belief that the place was not guarded with the customary rigour when cromwell was in power but when he died the tower became an important centre of attention colonel fitz then lieutenant had so it is said arranged to admit three hundred men of the parliamentary army this little negotiation was not carried to its desired conclusion and a fresh garrison was placed in the fortress on discovery of the plot 
but unrest was evident within the walls the lack of agreement of those in charge was followed by the seizure of the tower by general monk in the name of charles the second he released numbers of cromwellian prisoners and placed a strong garrison there under major nicholson during the months that passed before the return of charles the tower held many important prisoners in sixteen sixty colonel john lambert was made captive for opposing monk's scheme for the restoration pepys who comes upon the scene to illumine the time with his detailed accounts of happenings grave and gay gives as related by Rugge, an account of lambert's escape at eight of the clock at night it appears he slid down by a rope tied fast to his window and was awaited by men ready to take him off by the river she who made the bed being privy to his escape that night to blind the warder when he came to lock the chamber door went to bed and possessed colonel lambert's place and put on his nightcap this interesting female was duly discovered in the morning after having deluded the jailer by replying in a manly voice to his good night the evening before and was herself made captive for her temerity lambert who had succeeded in getting to warwickshire was recaptured and subsequently banished when charles the second came to the throne the early years of his rule were occupied in punishing with merciless severity all who had in any way been aiders or abettors of those responsible for his father's tragic death in the restoration year the marquis of argyle afterwards executed at edinburgh was a tower prisoner poor sir harry vane not in any way convicted of complicity with the regicides was brought to tower hill in sixteen sixty two and there suffered execution without a shadow of justice to cover the crime pepys rose at four o'clock in the morning of the day when vane was to suffer about eleven o'clock we all went out to tower hill and there over against the scaffold made on purpose this day saw sir harry vane brought a very great press of people the people of london at that time went out to see men brought to the block just as their successors patronized a lord mayor's show pepys had taken a window in trinity square but was unable to see the actual fall of the axe because the scaffold was so crowded that we could not see it done charles the second was the last of the kings to sleep in the tower the night before coronation and he in keeping with tradition made a number of knights of the bath who would after the ceremonies in st john's chapel ride with him in the procession to westminster on the following day of course pepys had secured a window in cornhill and there we had a good room to ourselves with wine and good cake and saw the show very well glorious was the show with gold and silver that we were not able to look at our eyes at last being so much overcome but the volatile diarist has sufficiently recovered the power of vision to observe that both the king and duke of york took notice of us as they saw us at the window this proved to be one of the most glorious cavalcades that ever left the tower the great fire of sixteen sixty six put the tower in great danger had it reached the walls and set alight the stores of gunpowder lying within we should have had very little of the work of the conqueror and henry the third left to us the king himself had ordered the demolition of surrounding buildings and by such means was the progress of the fire checked 
pepys of course was running about and we hear of him on one of the high places of the tower where he was able to look towards london bridge and did see an infinite great fire george villiers second duke of buckingham began his series of five imprisonments in the tower in sixteen fifty eight during the protectorate and continued them well into charles's reign but though constantly in trouble his offences were as constantly forgiven by the king and he was never a captive very long of colonel blood's escapade in sixteen seventy one something will be said in the third chapter but the irrepressible pepys was hunting for treasure not crown jewels in sixteen sixty two when he was led to believe a sum of seven thousand pounds was hid in the tower he and assistants set to work to dig for this hidden gold but it raining and the work being done in the open garden the search was abandoned the treasure is yet undiscovered the amazing pepys was himself a captive in the tower from may sixteen seventy nine to february sixteen eighty and seems to have lived fairly well there if the account of his expenses be any criterion william penn was also a captive about this time and wrote no cross no crown during his imprisonment that singular invention of titus oates called the popish plot sent about forty men to the block among them william lord stafford who was executed on tower hill on december twenty ninth sixteen eighty three years later the rye house plot brought lord william russell and algernon sidney to the tower and execution while essex who had been also lodged in the dungeons and had like russell and sidney not actually been concerned in the assassination scheme planned at rye house was found in his prison with his throat cut james the second omitted the procession from tower to westminster and it has never since been observed as a necessary prelude to a king's coronation there is no likelihood of the custom ever being revived now that the tower has fallen from its high estate as a royal residence the young son of lucy walters who had lived in the tower as we have seen as a boy now returned as the defeated duke of monmouth beloved of the people for his handsome face but unstable in character he was beheaded in sixteen eighty five on tower hill having been led there with difficulty through the dense crowd of citizens gathered to see him die and to cheer him on the sad way up to the top of the hill and the scaffold a contemporary engraving shows the excited populace packed closely together in solid ranks jack ketch the headsman was almost torn limb from limb by the infuriated mob when he had made four ineffectual strokes on the neck of the victim and had severed the head with the fifth the seven bishops came to the martin tower in sixteen eighty eight and judge jeffreys of infamous record died in the bloody tower what was the fate that lodged him in a place so appropriately named in sixteen eighty nine king james had fled the country and without bloodshed the great revolution of sixteen eighty eight was brought about sir william fenwick who had been found guilty of high treason was the only victim brought to tower hill during the time of william and mary but there were many prisoners of state in the tower partisans for the most part of the stuarts charles lord mohun was made a prisoner within the walls in this reign not for adhering to their majesty's enemies but for having killed a celebrated comedian in a quarrel about a famous actress 
in sixteen ninety five sir christopher wren examined the beechaman bloody towers to report what it would cost to repair and put them in a condition to hold more prisoners the tower capacities it is evident were being tested to the utmost limit queen anne had some french prisoners of war immured in the tower soon after her accession and in seventeen twelve sir robert walpole was nominally a captive there i say nominally because his apartment during his confinement from february to july was crowded by fashionable visitors whose carriages blocked the gateway at the foot of tower hill we are indeed in modern times when captivity in the old fortress prison was treated as a society function walpole's rooms were after his release occupied i used this milder term as he could not in the strict sense be called a captive by the earl of lansdowne author of that unpresentable comedy the old gallant with the house of hanover the tower records take a graver turn under george i the rebellion of seventeen fifteen brought young derwinter taken prisoner at preston to the tower lord kenmure was captured at the same time with other jacobite lords and was brought with derwentwater to tower hill and there together they were executed kenmure was put to death first and all marks of his tragic end having been removed from the scaffold derwentwater was brought out of the house on tower hill where catherine house now stands to suffer on the same block the crowd in trinity square had been disappointed of a third victim for lord nithsdale as we shall see later managed to escape from the tower on the evening before in seventeen twenty two the jacobites plotted to seize the tower their plan failed they were made prisoners there instead and lay in the dungeons for several months we have passed through the period of the black dwarf and come to the days of waverley and the romantic forty-five in seventeen forty four three men of a highland regiment which had mutinied on being ordered to flanders after being promised that foreign service should not be required were shot on tower green others were sent to the plantations this roused great resentment in scotland and prepared the way for the coming of prince charles edward who landed on the island of eriskay in july seventeen forty five this young hero of incomparable song and story was to quote andrew lang the last of a princely lineage whose annals are a world's wonder for pity and crime and sorrow and prince charlie has excelled them all in his share of the confessed yet mysterious charm of his house after culloden a sad harvest was reaped on tower hill and we shall hear more of the last of the jacobites who perished at the block for their loyalty when we visit the scene of their sufferings a few political prisoners in george the third's reign the committal of arthur o'connor one of the united irishmen in seventeen ninety eight the imprisonment of sir francis burdett in eighteen ten and the placing there of the cato street conspirators in eighteen twenty brings our list of captives to a close in queen victoria's time on october thirty eighteen forty one a fire occurred within the inner ward of the tower which threatened at one time during its fury to make sad havoc of surrounding buildings the storehouse of arms which stood where the barracks are now placed to the east of st peter's church was gutted and the smoke and flames were blown over towards the white tower 
fortunately the store alone was destroyed and it was reported to have been ugly enough to deserve its fate the tower's last trial came upon it unawares in january twenty four eighteen eighty five when the finians laid an infernal machine in the banqueting-room of the white tower the explosion that followed did considerable damage to the exhibits in the building and many visitors were injured but the white tower itself secure in its rock-like strength was in no way the worse for what might in more modern buildings have rent the walls asunder End of chapter two part two